Hello, I'm Jane McConnell, and welcome to Bold New Breed. Today I'm with Danny DeGrave of Sanofi Pasteur, whom I've known for five or six years now. We first met when he joined my practitioner community in Paris to talk about an initiative called Project M, which we're going to talk about a little later. This was back in 2015, and from what I have learned, Danny has really upped the game since then. I love the first lines of his bio on LinkedIn, but it's thought-provoking. He says, I go broad and drill deep. I don't need a plan to start. I implement tomorrow, today. And I think those are words that we can all remember. They're very strong, short, high-hitting statements. And you'll see as we get into our conversation how that applies to Danny's work. So welcome very much, Danny. Happy to have you here. Hello, Jane. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So first, could you share a few words about yourself, your background, your interests, your role at Sanofi, and then a little bit about Sanofi as a company? Yeah, sure. So you can stay with the LinkedIn profile. <laughs> it's maybe the best summary of how I uh, identified myself. Not as the Senior Director of Digital Transformation at Sanofi, which I am, but rather as a headline with making people's life better. I work for Sanofi. It's a global biopharmaceutical company focused entirely on human health. And the company itself is present in more than 170 countries. I have more than 100,000 colleagues. And basically what it comes down to is that we try to get people healthy again if they are sick. And thanks to vaccines, taking it the other way around, preventing they get sick in the first place. That's what it comes down to. I work specifically in the vaccines business unit. And like you mentioned, it's called uh, Sanofi Pasteur. And my current role is to facilitate digital transformation. I tend to call that human transformation uh, instead. <laughs> good, very good. <laughs> because it's a lot about mindset uh, change, upskilling, new ways of working. You're familiar with my research that I've done since 2006 that I've called the organization in the digital age. And I focus more on the organization itself, meaning the people, than digital as such. And my research and general conversations I have with people suggests that, in fact, we are still lacking a lot of skills. And I am not talking about Sanofi in particular, but would you agree with me that organizations aren't quite there yet? Is that your impression in general of the world? Yes, I think you're right, Jane. Absolutely. There is some way to go. And, and even that is maybe an understatement. There may be different levels into this. And bringing in new digital tools is probably the easiest part of the change. There, there is tremendous choice. Uh, that's not a problem. And it's not too complicated to bring that into a company. Now, what is more difficult, I think, is to have these tools used productively. Many companies I see make them available without training or with minimal training, or you go figure it out. A kind of a uh, check the box approach uh, very often. And do we have the digital tool? Uh, yes, okay, check. I check someone trained. Yes, okay, let's check the box. But then the question is, is it being used productively? Does it actually help the business? In many cases, the answer will be like, well, yeah, we assume yes, but we actually don't know. And then there is maybe another level when you talk about digital tools is even more difficult, is actually to explore these opportunities, these new ways of working, which are now becoming possible thanks to these tools. 
And it's not just using digital tools to do what you have been doing, but having new uses of those tools. And that requires, I think, uh, maybe a more digital first mindset. And, and that's way harder because we are asking people then to, to unlearn, to yeah. revisit how we do things today and as we have done them for so long and changing practices that have been there forever. So that's a harder, that's a harder nut to crack. Yeah. And that's what you're working on in your program you're going to tell us about. We did a case study for my new book, The Gig Mindset Advantage, that we're going to cover in a lighter way here. Something that really, really caught my attention the first time we talked about it, Danny, was that you have a strategy of what you call learn, apply, and share. And that's a follow-on from what you just said. The learn is what a lot of companies do. There's all kinds of learning institutes and initiatives and so on. Apply is one step further, and the share is still a, a deeper, how to say, a deeper thing that happens. And that's what I think is pretty unique about your program. And I've mm -hmm. noticed that you called it the shift, which yeah. suggests to me that there's something big going on. <laughs> Can you talk about that? Yeah, big is the right word. Um, yeah, the, the name shift refers to the end result. What are we trying to achieve? A shift from an earlier way of working. It's a more permanent change, what we're looking for. You can almost compare it to like an earthquake. And these plates have shifted and it's like, well, they're not going to revert back. That's what we want to see happening. So that's why it's called a shift. Now, how does it work? It's quite simple. An important point is that from the beginning, we wanted to ensure that we focus on business value and that we could demonstrate that business value. Maybe I can use an, an, an example. When we say we want to train someone in a new digital tool, I think there are roughly two options. We can say, okay, um, we'll have the person trained, be it in, in class learning or self-service learning. We are going to assume that from that point on, a productive use of that tool will occur which will then benefit the business. Yeah? It's an assumption. But we know in practice that it may not go that way yeah? for various very good reasons. Um, people might have had the training, but they come back to their everyday life and there are other urgencies that take priority and they cannot really get into the application of what they learned or they may delay this. And then maybe with the delay, there's some of that learning that has dissipated. So it's not really optimal from that perspective. And we also know from studies, if, especially when you look at the self-service online learning, that this is a challenge for many people. And then the, the numbers are there. The dropout rate is, is, is very high. And so we said maybe there is another option where we don't assume, where we don't just let it roll as it may roll. You get the training and everything will work out well. But let's try to help that process a little bit. So that's the idea here with Shift. And one key element in the approach is a one-page document. It's, it's one page. It's just one, one side of a page. And that describes the learn, apply, and share. So it's very simple. Basically, everything is pre-made templates. What we want to create here is kind of a, uh, a mini project, a mini commitment situation. So it describes how the business is going to benefit from the training effort. And then other information like who is doing this, which department, which location, how much time we think we're going to spend on that. And it describes those three steps. It says, well, I'm going to learn this tool. I'm going to apply it in this way. I'm and then I'm going to share it in this or that way. 
So let me use a practical example. We have a lot of activity uh, upskilling going on for data visualization. So in this case, this would be step one. I, I will learn to use this visualization tool. Okay, this one. I will use my learning to compare the output of this new tool with the standard tool we already have at the company, yeah? using our own data sets and not believing what other people say, like our own data. So that's the apply part. And then I will share this information because as a company, we are trying to figure out which of the two tools we should use going forward. We want to stick to just only one. And my analysis will contribute to that decision process because I will give examples and facts and I'll, I'll compare the two tools and we can use that to get to a decision. Yeah, so that's the goal. So automatically incorporated in this approach, proactively, we build in metrics we anyway want to know sooner or later. We know who is doing this, to which department this person belongs, what the value is going to be for a business in a very concrete way, yeah, very practical example, not some, some broad, typical line, very concrete. And since a manager also signs up on this mini project, it becomes a business objective. Yeah. It, yeah, it's not something like training is going the extra mile. It's after hours investments where nobody knows even that investment has been going on. So it's like, well, okay, if we want as a company something like this to happen, well, it's part of our work. And it also allows us, because we know who is doing that, it allows us to congratulate that person to say, great job, this is a very nice application of the power of this tool and have that person be an example for others, like an inspiring example. Like, okay, if my colleague went that way or can do that, then maybe I can do that also. So overall, with just this one sheet filled in very quickly, minimal effort, we can capture a lot of uh, rich data about the effort and get to that result part, uh, uh, business value much easier than if you don't do that. You know, I remember when we developed a case study now six years ago in 2015 called Project M that you were working on, that you put into place, which was quite different from the approach you're talking about now. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me that this is one big step up from Project M, but Project M sounded really valuable and motivating to people. Could you talk about it a little bit and in particular what the M means? Yes. So, well, Jane, we can actually do a whole podcast just on Project M. Uh, there's so much that Okay, we'll do that. We'll do that, Danny. But just to give people a little aperitive <laughs> taste of what it's like. Yes. So M was indeed experimenting with new ways of working and the word experimenting was really important. It is a platform for change, but key in the concept was that the change originated at the employee level and not at the company level, which is very often the, the case. And so that's why it was called M, is the M of me, the M of moi. That's really why it has that letter. And it's all about what can I do? What can I try out that will make myself or my environment I'm working with, with my colleagues, uh, have that work better? Yeah? So that was the whole, the whole idea. What can make me more engaged, get better connected across the different silos? That's a starting point from the individual. And no idea was too big or too small. Yeah, it, it's If you had an idea, you could talk about it with one or two colleagues. And if you all find this a valuable idea, yeah, we should do this, then the whole concept was like, just go for it. 
Yeah, there is no prioritization list. There is no approval committee. There was only one very, very important condition. And that is whatever we did, it could not delay anyone's or a project's execution of business objectives. Yeah, ah. That was no go. But as long as everything follows its its way, it's, it, it was all fine. And the logo itself, you, you may remember from the use case, it, it was the, an, an M, not just yes. a printed M, but was an M with a buildup of colorful dots on a white yeah. background. And that exemplified the, the optimistic, the positive approach of uh, Project M. If you look at it a little bit closer, the, the three legs of the M, the biggest dots were in blue. Blue is typically referred to as the color of trust. And trust mm-hmm. was key in this initiative. And that, that, that's the foundation. The other dots had different colors. So the dots might be a little bit different in size. It represented a diversity of ideas and thoughts. It's like, well, it doesn't matter. Small or big idea, we'll consider everything here. And obviously, if you then look at it from a distance, when you connect the dots, you know what is going to happen, right? So that was yeah. his, that was a flavor of uh, Project M. I think if you agree, I'll put a copy of the logo in the show notes for this episode, because it's a very powerful image that, that you all created. Yeah. In the story that we wrote about it, I want to quote a sentence. I think, it, in fact, it was a headline in the case study. M is a platform for socially constructed change. What's the idea there? Well, if you look at what typically happens, it's typical for a large company to do big change initiatives. And when there is a decision to do it, go big, there's a champion, there are big budgets. And a lot of good comes out of that. Mm-hmm. But it's also a reality that these initiatives are very often limited in time. Yeah? The urgency evolves, the champion moves on, the budget go to uh, other users. And much of that change has then the risk of reverting back. Yeah? The pressure is gone, people go back to their old, old ways of doing. Yeah. So Project M didn't have that big burst approach uh, where everybody's uh, supposed to uh, to participate. It was a slower approach, but every step along the way, um, the idea was to integrate those small changes as they become then part of our DNA in a more natural way. Less friction, uh, but more enduring change created by the people. Uh, and so that's why I call it change that was socially constructed because it came from the people and also even to a point of being locally relevant. To give you an example, there is the M mindset that, that people know what it stood for, but how you implement that on different sites at the company, that was a local approach. We, we had M breakfast in Canada and we had M lunches in France because it's best culturally. Yeah, this was just one of the activities we had because you don't do M breakfast in France. People are at home. They have breakfast at home, <laughs> not at right, the company. Yeah. Yeah. When you talk about socially constructed, it reminds me of a number of attitudes that I identified in my work on the gig mindset. How, how do you see the gig mindset fitting into all this? The gig mindset is very much oriented about the person. Yeah. But at the same time, it is not the person on their own. It's the person in a larger context. So in fact, I think my question relates to both 
M and shift. So actually shift is an evolution of M. I yeah. kind of look at it like M is a teenager and shift is a grown-up. With the teenager having more chance to explore, a little bit more fun factor. Um, it was very much ahead of its time with regard to employee experience. It had a strong early adopter mindset. While shift is more targeted, more short-term oriented, and more directly linked to the business objectives. So in that sense, it has a stronger link and a stronger impact on the company short-term. But what they both have is what you have described in your research around big mindset behaviors, although they are executed in different ways. Yeah? You, you have the aspects of networking, you have building relationships, you have interacting beyond your own bubble. The importance of learning was very big also in M, very intentional, and, and also still is with shift. And personal initiative to do that. So these are all elements you have described as uh, the gig mindset, and they are all in some way represented uh, in, in both uh, of these projects. Mm. For me, focusing down on the gig mindset was the first time in, what, 10, 12 years of research that I didn't start at the organizational level, which I had done in the past, uh, but start with the individual person and how that person can then develop and uh, expand their influence. And I like very much your image of the teenager and the adult. And what I think is interesting is we tend to forget the value that teenagers bring to our lives, to our communities, to the world. And we sort of want them to hurry up and grow up and do something responsible. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it's a natural evolution the way you've talked about the two projects. I think that's very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. If someone in an organization wanted to try to build some of these initiatives, themselves. What would you suggest I, or advise or what do you think would help? What do you think they should keep in mind as they think about doing this? Um, maybe the easiest would be is to get in touch with me. We can, can discuss this. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Let's chat. That's one suggestion I would make. That's yeah. just great, Dan. And just I'll interrupt you to say that's really generous of you. And I'll make sure that your LinkedIn contact is right there in the show notes so people can get directly in touch with you. I'm sure yeah. some people will. <laughs> Maybe one critical point in however this works out in your specific company is leadership buy-in. We always come back to that same point. We ask for Project M, ask for Shift. We had that senior management buy-in that we could do this. Yeah, that it's, this was okay. If that is not there, it's extremely hard. Yeah. You can have some traction locally, but it's extremely hard. When we started with Project M, this was kind of the result of, okay, we want to go there. We want to work in this way. We want to get it set up in that way and had it approved uh, to, to go in uh, that direction. That helps tremendously. And then also management can make some promo for that, that people also see this is supported. Yeah, if they don't see it supported by the, the management, they don't have to be there all the time. But just knowing that this is an, an active initiative, that's really, uh, really helpful. Yes. Okay, well, I think that's... Uh good for what we want to talk about today, unless you have any last minute thoughts? Well, I can only thank you, Jane, for this for this chat. I really enjoyed this. I also must say, I really appreciate your work for so many years now, and I can only wish you all the best with this new podcast series. It's thank really you. Good. And I hope things will change so that you'll be able to come back to France. The group that you visited still exists, but obviously it's online. So we can actually maybe arrange a visit for you to pop into one of our sessions. We yes. can talk about that later. Thank you very much, Danny, and thank all of you who are listening. 
I hope to see you all soon on the next episode and invite you to check out the website oldnewbreed.com. You'll see the future episodes coming up and you can catch up on past ones you might have missed. Thank you all and see you soon.